okay, well, this is a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> Why is the worship leader walking up to the pulpit? So our pastor, you know, we're going through a crazy time with a lot of sickness. And our pastor is, uh, has fell sick this morning. Now, he called me last night and said, there's about a 99.9% chance that I'm going to be there today. And I said, all right, well, good. Well, you know, you got this, man. You got this. He texted me this morning at 7 o'clock and said, man, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I said, oh. And I think I almost started crying. Maybe I did cry a little bit, but fortunately, you know, the Bible says to be prepared to bring the word in season and out of season. So fortunately, I had something kind of ready. So I'm going to bring that to you today. Now I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel 17. And you can go ahead and be seated, by the way. Yeah, it's a little out of whack this morning. But uh, if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible apps, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter... 17, and we're going to read out of that chapter largely today. I'm going to kind of set the stage for you a little bit before I pray by reading about 11 verses to you all at once. Are y'all cool with that? But I promise I'll come back and pack, unpack it all. It'll kind of like be like bringing a whole bunch of stuff into a room and being like, all right, now let's go through it. And I just do want to give you one disclaimer that the words on the screen are going to be a little different because in our lack of time to prepare this, we were unable to get the version that I'm reading from, which is NIV. So I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, and I believe the version on the screen is going to be the, the uh, New American Standard. Okay, so 1 Samuel 17, verses, 11, verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes. Damn them. And I will tell you this, there was some debate on how to pronounce that between Stephanie and I. And, you know, she said it sounded a little like a cuss word, but, you know, I promise I'm not cussing. Between Soko and Ezekah, Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. Greaves are just, you know, like leg pieces. A bronze, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. All right, we're almost there. One more paragraph. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're not, a servant, and you're not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will be your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our, our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Lord, let's pray. Lord, 
I'm so honored to get up in front of my church family and bring the word and to serve our church and our pastor in this capacity. However, I'm not a man who aspires to public speaking or, or preaching sermons. So God, I pray that today that you'll just keep, I pray for clarity of mind, God. I pray that I won't get distracted and, and that the church will be patient with my long sips of water when I do get distracted, Lord. We love you, God. We thank you. And we pray that you anoint the words I speak this morning. And we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this Philistine army had gathered. Now, you know this story. You've been hearing this since Sunday school. I'm going to bring it a little bit different this morning. But basically, to set the stage for those of you who might not know it, the Philistine army and the Israelite army had gathered on they faced each other, and they had, get, had two camps facing each other on opposite sides of this steep valley. And Goliath, the Philistine champion, proposed a, an idea. Instead of having all the bloodshed of the whole armies fighting, why don't you bring your biggest guy, toughest dude, and, I'll, and, I'll, and fight me, and we'll fight to the death. And whoever wins, well, you know, will serve the other. Now, I'm going to give you a little illustration right here. I've got these guys permission beforehand, but I want to just show you something. Now, I don't think that this illustration will even compare to how it really was that day. But Mr. Ben, could you stand up, please? And Mr. Curtis, could you walk over to Mr. Ben? Now, <laughs> truthfully, no offense, Curtis. Curtis is a tough dude, but who do you think would win in a physical fight between these two? Now put scale armor on, on Ben with, with scale armor was, was armor that is just visualizes just what it sounds like. It's armor of scale. And when a sword would strike it, it would slide off of the armor, full armor, javelin, sword, helmet, shield bearer that maybe have even been bigger than Curtis. Who do you think is going to win? Now, you know, but anyway, that's not necessarily what David was proposing. David was actually proposing that they bring out an equally tough dude to face him. You can sit down, buddy. Thank you. They didn't have one. They didn't have an equally tough dude. Now, I want you to remember that illustration for later. I, I, brought, I went ahead and got that out of the way because I'm going to bring that up in a minute. Now, the Bible says that Goliath's height was six cubits and a span. Now, what a cubit is, is this about 18 inches. It was the, the, the length of your elbow to the tip of your finger. See, Leah is so smart. One of my middle school kids is back there doing it, and I'm so proud. No, that's probably all her parents. <laughs> that's a cubit right there. He was six cubits, and a span is about the length of the tip of your finger to the tip of your thumb. Six cubits and a span. So, he, so from that, we know that Goliath was about nine, he was about nine foot nine inches. Some people will dispute that and say that he was... Um, taller, around 13 foot, but we know he, you know he's a giant because he was around nine foot nine inches tall. The Philistine giant, measuring over nine feet tall and wearing full armor, came out each day for 40 days, mocking and challenging the Israelites to fight. Let's go back in, in verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. No one dared to go out and fight this guy. Saul, the mighty king of Israel who stood a head, 
head and shoulders above the other guys when he was chosen for king did not dare go out and fight this guy. They were terrified. Goliath was a killing machine. How many of you have ever seen the movie 300 and, and how the Spartans were trained for war? Well, Goliath was also trained for war since he was a boy. Goliath was trained from his youth. He was a bad dude. Armor, weapons, training size, he had it all. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Not that far away in a field was a little shepherd boy. I don't know that he was as young as Curtis. Maybe he was a little older than that. Maybe he was a little bit bigger. And that's not an accurate representation, but it's just kind of for, for humor. But nine foot nine tall, probably a regular size kid. You know, he might have been my son's height. But there was something special about this kid there was something not normal about him. The Bible would refer to this kid in a way that no other Bible character had ever been referred to. And do y'all know how he was referred to? As a man after God's own heart. Absolutely. One day while looking after his sheep, David received word that his father Jesse wants him to go to the front lines of the battle. Not to fight, but where his three older brothers were camped with the Israelite army to bring them provisions and to bring back news. We read in verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As they were talking with them, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out of his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And I have this line bolded because I just thought it was, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they fled from him in great fear. Now I'll, I'll explain why I bolded that later. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man? This is verse 26. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? It was on. It was on. When David heard what was going on, it was on. David said to Saul in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will fight him. Now, it might seem ridiculous at this point for little shepherd boy David to go up and say, look, don't worry about this guy. I got this guy. It's all good. It might seem ridiculous, and, and you're going to see in some of the other passages the response from his brothers, the response from Saul. They did think it was ridiculous. But we're going to see later why it just might be justified. Now, point one is what the story of David and Goliath is not about. Years ago when that movie Facing the Giants came out, you couldn't go visit a church without hearing a sermon on Facing Your Giants. We are going to talk about that, but it's not what you think. I don't think the story of David and Goliath is a classic underdog tale. I don't, I don't think it's about 
the little shepherd boy reaching within himself to find inner strength and courage to face the mighty barbaric giant. That's the way the world sees this story. Hey, listen, it is an underdog story. Don't get me wrong. It's just not the way a lot of people think. I've often heard the story of David and Goliath portrayed in this light. Psychology and self-help books, even some Bible studies that teach that this story is about the tenacity of the human spirit. The ability of a person to find strength in the midst of insurmountable odds. And it seems like it is. Listen, now I'll tell you a story like that, okay? How many of you have ever seen the movie Rocky? I love that movie. I love that series. I watch it every year around the holidays. All of them. Everything. And uh, now that is a story about a man facing insurmountable odds. We see the training montage where Rocky's hitting the speed bag and running around Philly. You know, so cold you can see his breath. He's doing the old school workouts and getting in the best shape of his life. And when it's all said and done, he almost defeats the heavyweight champ of the world, Apollo Creed. Even though he loses, he really wins because he went the distance with the champ and barely lost by split decision after 15 grueling rounds. Now, that's a story about man's will to fight and human tenacity. But listen, I don't think this is what this scripture is about. And I'm going to show you why here in a little bit. Now, um, can you imagine if David went through that, if David held that perspective? I can do this. I, I can beat this guy, you know? I mean, he did, but it wasn't in his own strength. He did, but it wasn't in his own strength. David's training, David would do a training montage. You'd hear the, the, the music and everything. You'd see him running and everything, and then swipe one fail swoop with Goliath's sword, and he'd be out. If he did it in his own strength, but he didn't do it in his own strength. God's plans are so much better than our best laid plans. No one really believed that David could beat Goliath. Before David volunteered to fight Goliath, his brothers basically told him he was supposed to be back home watching the sheep and accused him of showing up and trying to watch the fight. The king didn't believe him. We read in verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior since his youth. That's why I said earlier that he had been training since his youth. It says here he has been a warrior since his youth. Verse 38, then Saul dresses David. Here's the training montage part I told you about. Then Saul dresses David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to him. See, when Saul finally did give in and agree to let David fight, he was trying to prepare David in man standards. Because that did make sense, right? That made sense. You know, he, I mean, he's about to go out and fight this really big, giant warrior with, who was complete armor from head to toe. Let's read down in verse 40. That's actually the first time I've ever put a water bottle in there. So. We read down in verse 40. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. This is David talking. Because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with sling in hand, approached the Philistine. 
Now, if David had been afraid of the outcome, don't you think he would have wanted all the protection he could get? He would have wanted. He's like, well, if he hits me with that big sword, I need to have a helmet on and, you know, but, but see, this is the thing. The story of David and Goliath is not the classic underdog story that many people think it is, but it is an underdog story. I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. All right, so part, point two, what David and Goliath is about. David's faith in God's strength to overcome the giant. Not David's faith in his self, not David's faith in his own strength, but his faith in God's strength. See, David has a source of reference of how the Lord had protected him in the past. Let me ask you this question. If you were to go to the mountains today and you were kind of taking a leisurely stroll down the, the path and um, a grizzly bear came up, just came up to you and just rah, stood up, what, would you guys fight him? Would you guys want to sit there and fight him would you, or would you run? What would you do? What's the thing you do? Stand still, play dead? Fetal position? Is that it? Okay. But you wouldn't grab him by the hair or the back of the head. Who would? Ben? I think Ben would. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe Curtis. In order to understand David's mindset and why he was so willing to run into the battle against Goliath, we have to understand his source of reference. Saul didn't want to let David go. David had to convince the king by telling him stories of how he defended his sheep from the wild beast when he was a shepherd. We read in verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. So a lion comes up, and this kid chases. I'd be like, all right, uh, bye, sheep. But this kid chases this, this lion down. I was going to say chases the sheep down. Kind of, I guess he did, but chases the lion down, grabs it by the hair, and kills it. That's crazy. So this, he was a pretty, pretty tough dude, but let's read why. Let's read why he feels that happened. I went after it, struck it, and rescued it from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, here's the key right here. This 37, if I had to choose one scripture for this entire message, it would be this. Number th verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. He had a source of reference. He knew that God had rescued him from the, hand, from the mouth of the lion and the bear. Saul said to King David, go and the Lord be with you. Because what do you say after that? It's like, uh, yeah, I used to go and, uh, and, and just kill lions and bears with my bare hands. It's like, okay, maybe you are the best man for this job. I wonder if David ever questioned his station in life as a, as a shepherd. How many of you know that if David would not have been faithful with what God entrusted him in keeping sheep, he may never have been able to, or he would never have been able to reference those experiences to Saul 
or himself for that matter. He wouldn't have that floating around in his mind. Well, you know, I used to kill these lions and these bears when they would come after my sheep. I can take this guy. It won't be much different because the Lord saved me from him. He wouldn't have that source of reference and that frame of mind, which was super important to this battle strategically in David's heart. Let me find my place here. Yeah, if he wouldn't have, have had that experience, he would not have been able to reference it later. Because you know that's what he was telling himself. David may have never entrusted God to care for... David may have never also been entrusted to care for an entire kingdom. Which we know later on he becomes the mighty king, David. He was the warrior poet. So David was faithful in the small, so God would entrust him later with the big. He may not have learned to trust that would save him in his time of need without these early experiences. So, you know, I guess it's good not to doubt humble beginnings. We read David's, so David, and here's a point, David was able to be a good shepherd because he knew the master shepherd personally, on a personal, personal level. We read in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You guys all could, could quote this one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And you know, if this isn't in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't know what is. I know David faced a lot of crazy stuff later, but, you know, he seemed pretty confident here. It wasn't through David's strength that he did these things. David was connected. David was so connected to the power source that these poor creatures didn't stand a chance. They had no idea who they were dealing with. David was intense. Scripture says that when one of these animals would run off with one of his sheep, he would chase them down and strike them, seize them by the neck and strike them. When they would drop the sheep, he would turn and seize them by the neck and kill it. So long before Goliath, our boy David was taking out lions and bears with his bare hands. And, but that verse 37, I want to go back and reiterate that. I love that verse. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Mm. The statement declares that David believed that it was by God's strength he was able to subdue these mighty beasts. The source of David's courage was this. It was his faith in God's strength and not just God's strength, but in God's love. In God's strength to conquer and subdue his enemies as a mighty warrior, but in God's love and faithfulness to deliver his people as a caring and devoted shepherd. He had to be both strong to deliver his people and to care enough to do so. And David had to believe both of these things. See, because God could be strong enough to do it, but not do it. If he was some far off God who, who didn't care about his people and love his people, Though he was strong enough, maybe, maybe he wouldn't do it, but he both 
was strong enough and he loved his people enough. Just like David goes off and cares for that one sheep and, and saves it from these beasts, the Lord protects us because he's strong enough and because he cares for us. You, you know who was the real underdog in this story? Anybody, who do you think the real underdog in this story is? Well, I take my sip of water. Goliath. Goliath was the underdog, not because he was necessarily facing David. Goliath was always the underdog. Goliath was always going to lose as long as someone stood up to him and trusted God. I don't see David as a little wimp. I don't. He's portrayed in that light sometimes, but he was not a wimp. He was courageous because he had faith in God's power. This is where his courage came from. And that's actually the title of my message this morning is where real courage comes from. That's the point that I'm trying to make. That's where real courage comes from, folks. In believing God is strong enough to overcome and that he loves you enough to intervene on your behalf. This story is not about a little shepherd boy facing a mighty war machine named Goliath. This story is about the mighty, all-powerful, infinite God of the universe versus this puny little nine-foot-nine giant. Even if he would have been a hundred foot tall, thousand foot tall, he still would have been an underdog. He was the real underdog of this story. And that's how David saw it all along. That's why he was so willing to fight. He knew that it was all just theatrics, and in reality, God never stood a chance. Goliath never stood a chance, sorry. Blasphemy. <clears throat> Goliath never stood a chance. Poor Goliath had no idea what he had gotten himself into. He was angry that the Israelites had sent such a young, weak-looking kid out to fight him. He was insulted that David came out wearing no armor and had only a shepherd's staff. He was insulted, and then, and then, out comes the sling. I'll tell you something about this sling. Let's read 41, 42 through, uh, 41 through 44. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. This was a mean dude, and he was mad. It's like they were messing with him or something. What are you, I guess you want to be our slaves. Okay, that'll work. Now, this scripture was the next big reveal, the plot twist. For this was the moment that this next scripture, that is, this next scripture is the big reveal. This is the plot twist. This is where the moment where David explained to Goliath that he was actually the underdog. And that despite all his fancy weaponry and armor, 
he never actually stood a chance. Let's re- we read down in, in, in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, sir. So that, sir, is, is my, you know, adding. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give your carcasses of, I will give the carcasses of the Philistines to the birds and wild animals. The whole army will know that there is a God in Israel. So yeah, he wasn't interested in them becoming their slaves. No, it's like, no, this is all gone, escalated a little bit farther than that. So this is a verse I also love. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know, because this is what it's ultimately about too. If I could have, I changed my mind. I want two scriptures to preach this, do the sermon. <clears throat> all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I could just imagine Goliath's face. He's, he's already mad because he, they think, he thinks that the Israelites are messing with him, and this kid comes out and says this. How audacious this little runt is going to come out and say this to me. That might be why he got hit in the head, because he was stunned. He was just so aggravated and shocked. He was already mad that he had been insulted, and now playtime was over. We read in verse 48, as the Philistine Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and a stone, with a sling and a stone, Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Uh, now, I know you all know this story, and, and so I'm giving you a refresher today. But there's a little bit, something I want to kind of add, my own little Kevin McIver's paraphrase, not paraphrase, but notes, commentary. There you go. Now, up until this point, this is just an observation I made. Up until this point, Until the stone physically left the sling, it had been all up to David to step up in faith and face Goliath at the exact moment, but at the exact moment that that stone left the sling, it was up to God. Because listen, I mean, it could have been, Goliath could have just been like, raised his shield. He could have just moved. He could have avoided that and then took David out. It was up to God at that point. David stepped up in faith and it was up to God at that point to take care of the giant for David. Now, point three here is where our source of courage should come from, where our source of courage should come from. Now, I use the life of David and a situation from David's life uh, really to contrast his time 
getting to know God, his, his faith in the Lord to help him with this, you know, I know it's cliche by this point, but this giant he had to face. So where does your source of strength come from? When the giants of life arrive, where does your courage come from? I know where it should come from. Metaphorically speaking, there are all sorts of giants that we face. And I've got some things written here, but I'm going to tell you something in a minute. A difficult boss, finances, health problems, coronavirus, temptation, addiction, abuse. But I'm going to tell you something in a moment of transparency. I'm breaking public speaking etiquette or rules right now. And I was terrified when David, Pastor David asked me to do this. I sing, play the guitar, play the piano sometimes. I don't preach. And I almost cried. I think I cried a little bit. Maybe I mentioned that to you earlier, but that was a giant for me. But you know what? God's got this. I'm going to tell you another story about a giant. And there are people who have, in this room maybe even, who have, have um, faced similar giants to this in their life. I still remember the night my mama and I left the trailer where we had lived with my alcoholic stepdaddy. I look back to see him standing in the doorway where he had just torn the door off to the hinges. And if you ever remember Jack Nicholson, and I, I would never suggest watching a movie like this, but The Shining, here's Johnny. Now, he actually did favor Jack Nicholson. So that's kind of the memory that's in, it burned in my brain is that, um, man, that scary face, just daddy, you know. <clears throat> He was so, he looked so angry, like at any moment he could just charge at us. Moments before that, and I know it was the Lord that, that saved us from this, because moments before that, he had been holding a shotgun to, on us in the bedroom. I was seven years old, and uh, same age as my daughter Emmy is right now. My young, my, um, not my youngest one, because I have a baby, but... I still remember what that night was like, like it was yesterday, um, going through the edge of the woods on, uh, from Gaston down 321, South Congaree. My mama leading me by the hand along the edge of the woods beside the highway so we wouldn't, he wouldn't find us. How do you face a giant like that in your own strength? I don't think you do, honestly. But, you know, sadly, some people, some people don't know the Lord. Let me tell you something about abuse, too, that you may already know, is that you don't just face those giants once. You face those giants again and again and again throughout your entire life. Um, and there are people fighting giants like that all around us right now. It's sad to think about this. Some people don't know God, and they have to face them all alone. My mama didn't know God on that horrible night, and I saw and remember the damage a giant like that does. Not having God to trust in and to comfort you in the valley of the shadow of death, of death but praise God, we do know him, right? Amen. And even when we do have God, do we really trust that A, He's strong enough to conquer our giants for us. And B, he loves us enough to conquer our giants for him, for us. 
do we give it to God only to take it back later? One of my favorite lines, and I know some of you in here are going to appreciate this song. One of my favorite lines in any song ever written is, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Finish it for me. All because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. Let me go ahead and have uh, my friends come back up, the band. So where does real courage come from? In conclusion, this message is a little bit shorter than you're accustomed to, and my apologies for that, but, you know, all things considered, I am a spare tire to get us to the store. Um, Oh, and by the way, if you are visiting with us today, thank you for coming. Please don't leave, or don't leave and not come back, because our pastor will be here next week. (laughs) Um, I'm the worship pastor. We stay connected to the power sources, one. We, we do need to be proactive and face our giants in faith like our little shepherd boy, David. David was proactive, not passive. Ultimately, David did have to walk out on that battlefield. Nothing but a sling and faith that his God was bigger than Goliath. Two, trust that God is strong enough and loving enough to deliver us from our giants. And three, understand that the giants in our lives never had a chance because the battle is the Lord's. All God is asking to do is trust in him and step out on that battlefield. Lord, we thank you that you are our father and our shepherd. God, you are the master shepherd, Lord. We love you. We praise you so much. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to to grow and to just understand you more, Lord. Your heart, God. We praise you, King of kings, Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.